Hey, I'm Amar Chohan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create. We speak to the smartest people from across the advertising industry to find out what they love about it, what they hate, and what change they want to create. Hello. So today on Love, Hate, Create, we have Anna Angelic. In the course of her career, Anna has modernized and repositioned and breathed new life into legacy brands. She's currently the global chief brand officer of Esprit. Previously, she has worked as the chief brand officer of Banana Republic, where she successfully led the rebrand that resulted in a 27% sales growth. Prior to Banana Republic, she was the CMO at Mansour Gabriel and the chief brand officer at Rebecca Minkoff. She's also an author. She wrote the book, uh, The Business of Aspiration, a couple of years ago. She's also been listed on the Forbes Top CMOs list twice. And she holds a doctorate in sociology, uh, which she writes a newsletter um, all about as well, called The Sociology of Business. Anna is a very smart person, so you're in for an absolute treat if you are looking for an insight into the world of fashion and brands and consumer behaviour. It's, uh, yeah... A real pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you very much. And thanks for this lovely introduction. And thanks for having me. It's always wonderful to reconnect with Charlotte. And it's great to meet you, Amar. Thank you. Thank you for being with us, Anna. Yes, we've known each other quite a while. So um, listeners of this podcast will know that this is where we are some of the most interesting people. We think they're the most interesting people in the brand and create comms industry what they love and hate and what changes they would create to leave a better legacy so let's get straight into it Anna um what is it that you love about fashion industry or about branding or about advertising industry or all of the above let's go all of the above but but perhaps I guess let's talk I guess generally about brands and marketing what is it that you love about where we are right now and what you're able to achieve right now i love the pace of change and i love how this pace of change and how complexity of the environment that brand and marketing operates forces all of us to stay on our toes and to keep coming up with new strategies, new creative formats, new ways to connect with culture, connect with consumers and be part of that culture and and consumers' lives and how different it is from even like five years ago, three years ago. I always feel it's a new job. Oh, great. What are some of the shifts in particular, Anna, that you're you're seeing that excite you the most? I mean, uh, I'll speak from my own perspective as as the former chief brand officer of Banana Republic, as the current chief brand officer of of Esprit. Is just looking what the go to market strategy is overall. First of all, looking how do we define the point of view of the brand? That's the most important thing. Oh, the brand vision, the brand strategy. And I realized as the time passes, how compressed that period is that I actually do spend time on on doing the brand strategy and the brand vision. And I'll tell you why. It's, it's not 
less thoughtful is just a initial step defining that North Star because I know that this is going to be changed and defined and there's no point in how before was like oh you spend the discovery three months and then you do like you had an agency and there is like a lot of back and forth back and forth and then you unveil an identity it's not it's, it's the opposite you put forward the hypothesis and then something that is that that is rooted deeply in the heritage of the brand in the brand dna but it's also rooted in the current culture current consumer behavior and you look like hey if i'm operating in this competitive set if this is what the culture is right now if this is what what consumers are paying attention this is how they're spending their time and money this is the the the, the north and then knowing what the history of the brand is this is the north star where we are going and then you define the aesthetic territory. So it's almost more important to define that this aesthetic territory in today's visual culture. Rather they have this like super smart positioning deck that that agencies usually do. And and again, I haven't been on the agency side for five years. I've been on the brand side. So that and I usually do it my myself for that very reason that of the speed of 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 movement. So okay, so mm. we have that positioning hypothesis so to say and then aesthetic territory needs to be very 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 well defined that means this is esprit is our clothes metropolitan outdoor for the creative class um, for those who treat work as leisure leisure as work how does that look like that means like oversized comfortable layered all right so now i ask okay where is the tradition in american style that leads back to that to bonnie cashin and the, which is the other American style, not Ralph, but the opposite. So it's Calvin Klein, it's Donna Karen, Seven Easy Pieces, and so on. So you kind of start building that story, that narrative, that 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 takes you where you need to be. But why I emphasize is that it's a hypothesis, but because as you're building that narrative, you're actually building that narrative in terms of product design. So you say, what is the signature look for this brand? What are the signature pieces that go here for Esprit? It's a, it's a modular parka, it's a button-down, it's a soft suit, it's a skirt, and so on. So we have very defined aesthetic territory. And then you work with merchandising, and you say, hey, we have now this new product pyramid. So these are the hero products, the, which is the purest distillation of the brand, the dream. This is the aspiration. There is a collection, this is the margin, this is how you make money. And then this is the foundation, which is more accessible version of, of the hero, which is a rate signature product live. It's something that's classical, that's timeless, that people are always going to buy. So you see how specific it becomes immediately. You, you don't have time to write decks and present to each other. It's like immediately you change product design, immediately you change merchandising, immediately you change go-to-market strategy in terms of then how you're going to visually merchandise that, what is your retail experience, what, what are you pushing on the site, and then marketing comes in. And then you start telling your story in terms of PR and, and then uh, content narrative, social, and so on. Yeah, so, so is it the death of... Oh. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's like so much. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking, we're excited with you. Um, the Is it the death of the positioning deck then, Anna, that everyone is so obsessed about? Say, like, look, I don't want to say that because every CMO has a different approach. Yeah. I just happen to have the background, that specific background as a planner, as, as, as then as a strategist that that can 
do those things. But different CMOs have different skill sets. And for some of them, that positioning deck is probably something they 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 use as 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 a first starting point. And again, it was my starting point as well, but the, it was a hypothesis. It is because I've done this in my way several times now. There is that process that I follow that starts with the product. Yeah. So moving away from the kind of monolithic approach to developing and, and, and building a brand, right? Near, yes. Communicating through product first, then through merchandising, that curation of products, retail environment, and then you go with messaging. Yeah. Yeah. Stripping well, it. Brand and product need to be in sync in terms of messaging. It's You can have the best communication ever, but if the product is not great, it's it's not going to take you far. It's not going to take you far. Agreed. Okay, shall we, shall we move on to what you hate about the world of Marcoms and brand then? Yes, please. I uh, I don't, I like hate. That's that's a too loaded word. But what <laughs> I dislike hate against. Let's do that. Where is the biggest friction mm. is the legacy organizational structures, processes, skill sets, people, mindsets. Yes. So. How retail, which is probably symptomatic for other industries, it's very channel organized, very siloed. All functions, they work in their own silo. They have their own goals and tasks and metrics of success, and they are not used to working together. So that is this very hierarchical organization that, believe it or not, lives to this day and age. And this is why I love Esprit. Because we are building it from scratch, breaking down and building again. At Gap, that was more of a challenge with the legacy structure, legacy technologies, legacy people, legacy mindsets. So that is more of a challenge. That said, organizations do what they can. Organizational transformation is very hard. I'm saying if you want to move fast, which is usually the case with rebrands, and I always say, I'm a disruptive CMO. Don't hire me if you need steady. You yeah. hire me to break things, to change things very quickly and set things on the right path. Right path meaning path to profitability. Sales and revenue, you know, follow. So that is the organizational uh, inertia, the brain, like that, that resistance to change is something that I chafe against. So an element of you must enjoy that because looking back over your CV, you have chosen, I don't know if consciously, but you have worked for legacy brands, right? There must be something in that challenge that you that you love. Is there? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. This is... We're going that back to not, love now. That is fine. That is, that, that's exactly it. But that's why I'm sort of... I'm able to emphasize mm. that as something that I dislike because yeah. that's like, you know how they're always in planning and other they're like, who is the enemy, you know, like, and then complacency is the enemy, you know, like, like that resistance to change is the enemy. So if I was comfortable with lack of change, I would probably go to a legacy brand and stay there. And I would probably say that that's what make me, makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> that's all love, <laughs> the stability, you know? So, so yes, yeah, so that's why it's front and center of, of, of my CV, of, of the work I do. 
And that's exactly why I'm like, hey, if it would be much better if the organizations where already like esprit is, it's kind of like, let's figure out what makes the most sense for the goal, for the vision that we have and for the objectives that we want to achieve. And then let's go from, from there and see what kind of organization do we need to have to achieve that. So right now, I'm actually not going against those legacy structures. If we are building the organization in a way that is modern, that is aligned with what, what we want to achieve now in order to, in order to get to the best, best results. So that is, it's, it's not always that I choose those. I choose legacy brands, which is those brands that have had their heyday yes. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, or maybe that they're still doing well. Like Tiffany would be a fantastic challenge for me. Or Ralph, Tiffany, you know, like those brands that have like that history, but they're kind of like, you know, the modern, heritage. they're a little lost their way, you know, mm. so in that sense, it's probably a completely different challenge. But when I look, I don't look at the legacy company, I look at the legacy brand. Right. Got it. And the ones that are ready and ripe for a, for a reboot, essentially. Absolutely. And I mean, like, who doesn't want that? I mean, I guess people don't, but like, that's, isn't that a wonderful thing when you can kind of look what made the brand great in the first place? Because all those brands, they always had something that's unbelievably the insight, the intention mm. was something so original and so un unheard, unseen before, which made them unique. And then yeah. they kind of lost that over the years, maybe with scaling, with, with, with change of culture, with not being close to the pulse, you know, or, or different reasons. Yeah. And I guess as a sociologist, right, which is what you are trained to be, it must be fascinating to look back at those brands when they were in their heyday of, in society, like Tiffany's was, goodness knows how many years ago, and, and look at what's changed, right, and how consumers have evolved and how you can shift brand perception and consumer behavior along with that. So that's exactly it, Charlotte, because like when you look at my career, it seems like, oh, what is that thread? And the thread is I was always interested in brands. I was always interested how brands are built, when did brands originated, why did they originate it, what was their role from literally branding when the cattle was branded, from the moment from medieval ages when every single house had their own crest. So that is where you start. And then I looked how this branding evolved with the radio, with the TV, with digital media. So there was always that thread. And that is what brands are, are a mix of, of sociological analysis in a sense. How do trends emerge? How do trends spend? How people influence each other? How do innovations spread in society? What is the interaction with society and technology? All of which I'm like doing in my everyday job, first in agency, then on, 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 on the brand side. Really, how do you design an environment for a certain behavior? But then there is this narrative level, that storytelling level, what symbols you put and how do you influence cultural conversation through your own behavior? In a sense, like, do you partner with micro-influencers? Do you build a community? Do you create content? Do you collaborate with other brands? And what does that then mean in terms of visual culture? And how does that visual culture build that brand participation in that visual culture? 
So that is always the most exciting thing. So if I'm given a story, that's even better. And those legacy brands have that story. Yeah. Do you, do you seek them out? I don't seek them out. They kind of find me. <laughs> they seek <laughs> me. <laughs> one, one question before we move on. Tiffany, if you're listening, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give, give Anna a call. Uh, one we'll one question <laughs> before we move on to the um, the next section. So obviously the role of brand, uh, and it sounds like you've got a, 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 a very tight and uh, effective process for helping a brand recapture that original purpose and yes. um, make it fit for the future now. H how do you come up with or against marketing then to like translate that vision that you have for a kind of present day or future day um, uh, kind of brand existent with marketing and, and when it comes to them executing? How has that worked for you? I will tell you very specifically, and some may think it's tactical. So the vision, when it's set, it's literally that aesthetic territory. And before each campaign shoot, there is a creative brief. So again, my planning background comes in, but I don't go into audience and so on. That's already defined. That's already done. The personas work on a global level is done. That that happened at Banana, that happened at Esprit. So that rigor is still there in terms of like consumer research. So this is who we're talking to. And then now for each of our biggest, biggest, biggest creative expressions, there is a brief. But that brief captures possible expressions of the annual concept for both the brand and the product. So the process is... I define for 23, what is the annual concept that goes literally to that vision, that North Star, and translates, it brings it to life through annual concept and then quarterly concept. What that That is product concept and brand concept. Product concept means in terms of product design. So you have quarterly team. So for example, if for this series rules don't apply for Esprit, then we have extraordinary places, extraordinary people, extraordinary lifestyles. So that's for each month. Within that, there is product design, merchandising, and then brand communication. So I'm just giving you a big picture. Mm. For next year, we have 2024 concept is, let me just remember for a minute overall, uh, the original. The original is uh, Esprit, as the original as a place or a brand where a lot of current fashion trends originate. Sustainability, real people featured in the campaigns, this metropolitan outdoor look, which is basically gourd core that you have today that Gen Z owns. And then original as originality of the founders, originality of photography, of store design. So that is the overarching concept broken down in four. So okay. which is icons, influences, references, and then muses. So this is big, big picture, but very tactical, as you see, because it has to be tactical. Like we need to be able to, to activate the organization to deliver. And you yeah. can't activate the organization through big stories and decks. You need to be very prescriptive but also provide a framework for the creativity. So next step is within those four, then is the creative brief, which does not, is not traditional creative brief. It's a creative brief that says, 
okay, these are the props, this is the location, these are the models, this is the styling, these are the products that we are featuring because that's, that's, that is a connection with business. These are the biggest buy from merchandising, so I'm going to feature them in a campaign and I'm going to style it like that. And the models are going to deliver this story and photographer is going to translate that vision. But all of those elements are translating the vision, not just photographer, not just styling, not just models. The whole thing needs to tell that story. Mm. That is what, but then you go to social media, you go to Instagram and say, hey, when I have hero collection foundation in terms of product, what is, okay, so I, in terms of content, I have the dream, I have the trend, and I have the lifestyle. So what is then my cadence? What is then my strategy? So it's very tactical, actually. Okay. And I think some big organizations, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the sense from talking to other brand marketers that there's always or quite often a big chasm between strategy and execution and so many big brands fail to translate their strategy into execution. Is that, is that really a problem, <laughs> do, do you think? Well, it certainly is, because otherwise, like, do you really think that I want to be so hands-on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I actually do, because that's where the rubber Sounds hits. Sounds like you do, yeah. The execution is where you see if your strategy is working. Yeah, the magic, right? Right, but the, the thing is, again, going back, to what kind of what type of CMO one is or chief brand officer one is because strategy is is, is fantastic and I, I love strategy and strategy makes a lot of sense when you see it all and the rollout plans and all of that but you need the right human and technical and organizational resources to deliver on it and that's especially critical when it comes to rebranding that's where this creative vision the creative execution is unbelievably important once that kind of you, you hit a stride in sense of aesthetic and people start recognizing you know, your positioning is it's going to repeat 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 it so it's kind of more or less stable then you you sort of can go on autopilot a little bit with a lot of those executions but yeah. especially that first year with banana for example unbelievably tactical unbelievably hands-on unbelievably mm. every single detail every single prop so in that sense, strategy is execution. Execution is strategy. Okay. One in this inextricable. Right. I mean, it's great to have that outline in the plan, but the real thing is then motivating people, motivating the organization and having that impetus and intention to deliver and then consistently deliver and also connect all departments to deliver. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank one of our sponsors. Massive Music is a global music agency and partner for some of the world's leading brands and agencies. With 10 offices worldwide and over two decades of expertise, they deliver everything you need in the field of music, voice and sound, from sonic branding and activations to music for commercials and licensing. Just to name a few, Massive Music works with clients such as Heineken, Nike, The North Face, Philips and Colgate. They also provided the music for this very podcast. On top of being a lovely bunch, they're an official sound partner for brands on TikTok. And since 2021, they're part of Song Trader, the world's largest B2B music company. 
Their ultimate goal is to combine musical craft with strategy to elevate your project or campaign through the power of music in sound, which, if you ask us, is oh so needed in the advertising world of today. If you're interested, send an email to lovehatecreate at massivemusic.com so they know you came through us. Needless to say, they're all ears. So we get the sense that you thrive on, on change and transformation. What is it that you think we need to change? Right? What's the change that you would create in, in our space in order to ensure that we have a, a successful, a prosperous future ahead of us? Well, this is going to sound very contradictory regarding the industry I work in, but I think that we, as a human race, we need to consume less. And we really need to kind of switch from that consumerist, capitalistic mode, more, 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 buy, 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 into signaling status in different, through knowledge, through taste, through curation. And I think that good things are happening with a lot of secondhand and vintage becoming prominent and front and center. So I think it's kind of like, how do we create less but better? Yeah, yeah. And fashion gets a lot of flack, right, in particular. So how do you reconcile that with what you do then? We're working for fashion brands, which are all quite often focused on selling new merchandise. So how do you personally reconcile that? That is great. That's a great part of working for a legacy brand, both Banana and Esprit, that they have history. They have so much product from 80s, from 90s, that people love, that are, that are part of a fabric of people's high school years, college years. We, we have people at this, like in our story, is pretty coming in and being like, I remember my first day of high school where I wore this. And they don't just say I love Esprit. They say they remember a particular item that they had, what color it was, what embroidery it was, what patchwork was there. So. In that sense, my job is easy to tap into that love and bring those products back, source them, mm. which we did. We source vintage, vintage. products, secondhand. Yeah, right. The only existing because that's nothing but pure margin. Those production costs don't are not there. Like like operation costs, like nothing. You just source them, and you sell them at the market rate, but you don't produce anything new. So basically, you're just circulating back. You're giving new life to those products and introducing them to the new audience. And the quality is amazing of the stuff that was created in the 80s before fast fashion, before Zara. So yes. You know? Yes. With that test, we mix the new with the old. That goes back to our audience strategy. So you kind of like, there are ways to incorporate circularity in, or if you want to say, if you in vintage secondhand into your new offering. And is that a kind of, uh, a must for you now. If you if you were to ever move on from Esprit um, in the in the near or distant future, is that is that a a criteria for you? Like it's a, a brand that has to have some element of circularity. Or you're not going to go work for uh, a fast fashion brand or a, a brand that's just uh, all about selling new product. Honestly, never say never. At the same time, it's much more fulfilling and and and, and sociologically from my mm. background and more challenging to revive brand to kind of to build upon the history because I do believe there is certain roles that brand plays in society and culture, not just in economy. And that continuity is very rewarding. So that is something it's almost like ethnographic, anthropological, archaeological study. Yeah. 
not just of products, but of the values of the mood of the culture of that time when you on earth with the product, yeah. Yeah, what what role do, do you think brands, I mean, it's a bit of a lofty question, but that, that they have in society, do they serve a role? Because if, if you know, I think the stat is something like 77% of consumers wouldn't care if they never heard from a brand again or they you know they've got no interest in brands so what purpose do you think they have i don't know if that's or is this just that more stuff because then you can argue luxury industry is all built on brands you buy a bag but you don't buy a bag because that bag is functional it is made in a certain way the margins are insane in luxury Mm. and it's all brand so if you apply that luxury strategy when you say this is the brand like 90% is a brand, 10% is the product. That mm. is where the story comes in. That's where the meaning and purpose for the brand comes in. But that's also mm. where the meaning people come in. Aspiration, status, signaling, that's never going to change. No. People buy brands because they want to feel a certain way. They want to think about themselves a certain way. They want to signal association with others in a certain way. They want to be different than others in a certain way. That's not going to change. But the question is, do you need 55 shampoo brands? Do you need... So I do think that there is, again, disappearing middle. Mediocre brands are going away. But good brands, meaning they have good story. They have, at the end of the day, it's all about that narrative, not just messaging. No, no, no. I explained it. Product, merchandising, retail experience, and so on. So that's Mm -hmm. the role... What role do you play in culture? What role do you play in lives? Are you aspirational? Are you in the business of aspiration, literally? Yeah. And all the mediocre ones will disappear. We hope so, because they just clutter up your life, don't they, and provide (laughs) If you can't tell a difference, if you don't care if a brand disappears or not, that means that it's, it's a mediocre brand, right? But then again, don't throw baby with the bathwater because the entire luxury industry from Hermes, Birkin to Louis Vuitton to Dior, like they're all built on brands, on stores, on those Chanel. If we lose that mediocre middle then, obviously some people will move up market, um, but then there will probably be a huge segment and we're talking hundreds of millions of people uh, around the world that will probably move down a segment which is more in the line uh, of disposable consumerism driven brands, right? So that's, that's, that's a challenge, right? Commodities. Commod- like, yeah, true. There is a commodity or there is a brand and there is something that's treated as an asset. And a lot of companies are treated as assets, especially in startups. When you see VCs invest and they're like, oh, we have product market fit. We have this great product. We're going to buy all the uh, audience acquisition. We're going to buy all the audience, all the users. And when you stop spending, it's going to go. And that's why it's going to go is because you never invested in a brand in the first place. Brand needs to be the first thing that connects the business with the product, with the culture, with the consumer. So that is that connective tissue, and that's where you build value. You build value at the brand. You don't build value by acquiring customers to your product and growing market share for a minute because you spend the most money. Understood. We should all we, we should all wear white label five days a week, and then our uh, heritage brands for two days a week. 
circular you, heritage you brands. You need to create your own clothes. And Even better, yeah. We'll stitch our own clothes. So, um, Anna, a fascinating chat. Could talk to you a lot longer about all of these all of these topics. Um, I have a quick question, which is a bit random before we, we before we sort of bring this to a close. What? Because you mentioned it earlier. Um, personas. Do you believe in personas? Do you believe? Do you think they are worthwhile for marketers, or are they bollocks? <laughs> I it defies the content strategy, it defines, defines social strategy, it defines the depth of merchandising, buys the volume, it defines product design and styling. So yeah, they're very useful for me. Okay. You hate it. <laughs> uh, like you, you're not going to be like dogmatic about it. And then I know also like in media agencies, they make more sense than in the creative agencies in a sense, because you do buy media against that. Like if you kind of like, oh, those people are more in suburbs, they're more like doing it, blah, blah, blah. It's demographic, it's echographic, you mix it all together. But you're not like, that's armchair sociology, you know, just guessing that stuff. Again, personas are hypothesis. So yeah, I'm going to style something like X in a way that appeals to maybe older one, but they're like very, even they're broad, they're just guidelines, really. They're not to be taken terribly seriously. They're not your friend. Ta okay. Taken lightly. <laughs> They're acquaintances at best, right? <laughs> okay. Neighbors. Say hello. Neighbours. Neighbours who you have to be nice to. Um, okay. So, brilliant. So, we've, we've heard about what you love, what you hate, the change that you create. Um, I'm going to ask you quite a specific question. What three things would you recommend that brands um, commit to, um, do now and going forward? Well, there's so many things. It's not very specific in what sense. As in... To make more money, to be more relevant. No, as, as in what, you know, if you were to give advice to someone in, in your shoes, say another chief brand officer, say a legacy organisation, um, what you know what three things would you suggest that they commit to and 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 seek to change to make to make this world a better place first one is be brave yeah okay be brave take more risks this is good yeah second is be brave but be smart which means don't do that thing that bad advisor did like read the room, read the room. know your audience read the room yeah. so be brave be smart and then the third, have a sense of humor for the love of God. Like, don't take yourself seriously. It's like, yeah. God, so needed, right? I, after the, the, the pandemic and the, so much of the purpose-driven work that we've seen bags of. And that there's, there's, there are studies, aren't there, to say that the level of the use of humor in, in, in comms in particular has declined uh, over the last few years. So, yeah, we need to get back to that, right? Some, some, some fun, some, some, some positive emotion. I think it might have increased recently. Yes. Exactly. Some, I think I feel like it might have increased in the last six months. But yeah, it's definitely been doom and gloom. That's brilliant. They're three golden nuggets of advice. Love it. Thank you so much, Anna. Brilliant to have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Great to have you on uh, the podcast, Anna. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Great questions and lovely conversation. <laughs>